You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. Paul is in prison. He is chained up, being guarded by the Praetorium Guard in Rome, Italy. And he is writing to a new church in Colossae. A new church is probably just about six years old. It's just a kid. And his words, Paul's words, as he's carried along by the Spirit, gives us the book of Colossians. And Paul loves this church and wants to challenge them to continue in Christ. It's amazing how quickly, if we don't keep our heart and mind fixed on Christ, how quickly we can be deceived how quickly we can all veer off course, and how quickly we find ourselves not growing in Christ. With your copy of God's Word, would you go with me, please, to Colossians chapter 2. We stopped last week as Jordan Greer preached an amazing sermon in verse 5, and so we pick it up in in verse 6 today. Let me just read the passage to you. Don't close your Bibles, and then we'll go back and see what the Holy Spirit says to us as our teacher today. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule, all authority. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's start with these questions. Have you received Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you love Christ? Because it all starts with Jesus. Uh, Look at verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ, the Lord, the Lord means he's in charge. He is the authority. He is above all peoples, all times, all places, all cultures, all ideologies. If you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That's language of relationship. To walk with someone is friendship. Christian, we should see Jesus as our friend who walks with us. Jesus as our friend who ventures with us throughout all of life. Basically, Paul is saying right here, if you're in Christ, then keep walking in Christ. Don't waver. Don't change. His point here is don't change your view of Christ. Don't let your view of Christ digress or or slip away or diminish. Keep walking in him. 
It's this call for you and I, sister and brother, to continue in Christ just as we received him, so walk in him. So it's so much more than just walking around Waco believing something. It's walking around Waco with someone, walking in union with Christ. Keep walking with Christ. Daily know Christ. This is what Paul is telling us today. The Holy Spirit is telling this church, continue on in Christ. Then chapter 2, verse 7. We see rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul gives us four great ways right here for us to walk in Christ, for us to walk in him, for us to walk with him. Let me show you those four things we see in this passage. First of all, he's telling us in verse seven, go deep into Christ. And and it's it's a gardening language. It's the language of a gardener. To, to make sure that that plant, the roots of that plant have gone down deep, that they won't be susceptible to, to decay, to disease, uh, to being toppled over. But it's this picture of, of a gardener putting the plant deep inside the earth. And so in the same way Paul is saying here, I want your roots to grow deep into Christ. What he is saying is, is relationally growing in Christ. To be deep rooted in Christ, to know Christ. Don't just stay on the surface with Christ. It is possible today to stay superficial with Jesus. Don't believe me? A few million Americans have it down to a fine art. But the call here is to let our roots grow deep into Jesus, to know his heart, to learn his voice, to learn how to listen to him. It's a call from Paul to grow up and to mature in Christ, to let your roots, the roots of your heart go deep into Christ. The second thing we see Paul says here is to be built up in Christ. And this is the language of construction, that something is moving up, something is moving upward. You have this foundation. So I love that Paul first says, go deep into Christ, but he also tells us to grow up in Christ, to be built up in Christ. And I think what Paul is probably getting at here is to intellectually grow in our understanding of grace, to, to love God with our mind. You see, the Christian faith is not opposed to intellect. In fact, I think intellect is stirred and strengthened by the Christian faith. Growing in knowledge is what Paul is talking about here. Growing in understanding, learning to love God with your mind. And this comes, Highland, from studying the scripture. Uh, Paul would say earlier in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, when he was talking to the church at Ephesus, I give you this word. It is a word of grace and it will build you up. And so for us to grow up into Christ, to be built up into Christ is this understanding that that our mind, where we're growing to love him even more, we're understanding him, we're learning to, to grow in understanding, to grow in knowledge. Thirdly, Paul tells us here to get established in Christ. And interestingly enough, this is legal language. It is the language of a judge that has that has set the rule. The gavel has gone down and it's determined. And so this is what what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Get established in Christ. A decision needs to be made. I've made my decision. Here's my decision. I am settled on Christ. And I'm not going to be pushed around by false information or a false gospel or, or a false teacher. I am set in Christ. The decision has been made. I have established that God's word is fully the word of God. I have established that Christ lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again. Staying, verse 7, just as you were taught. 
It's this conviction that Christ is who he says he is, and you're set in that, and you're not moving off of that. That's how you walk in Christ. Fourthly, this is really practical, overflow with thanksgiving. This, again, interestingly enough, is a financial term. It means that you've paid all your bills, and you still have more. You've paid all your bills, and there's still something there. It's an overflow. And so Paul is saying here, I want your life to, to abound in thanksgiving, to overflow with thanksgiving. You do that by generosity recalled. Like if, if it's been a tough weekend for you, or a tough 2022 for you, you know what you need to do is stop and recall the generosity of God. Stop and remember the faithfulness of God. What should be the life attitude of a Christian? You ready? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this grace received. God, thank you for the goodness you have displayed to me. God, thank you that you've allowed your son to walk with me in this life as a friend. God, I thank you that your faithfulness toward me is abounding, is overflowing. These are four ways that we can walk with Christ this week. Go deep into Christ. Be built up in Christ. Make your determination. I am set in Christ. And let your life overflow with thanksgiving. Then Paul is going to tell the Christians at Colossae, just like the Spirit of God would tell Christians in Waco today, stay in Christ. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. That's battle language. That's war language right there. Don't be captured by the enemy. What would the enemy use to capture us? The rest of verse 8. By philosophy, an empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the Spirit of God is telling us today, Highland, right here, grow in Christ, but be aware there's always this strong current all around us that's trying to draw us away, pull us away from Jesus. And Paul describes it here as a philosophy. Now, he's not denigrating philosophy itself. That philosophy is a, is a good thing. The word phileo means love. Sophia means wisdom. So it's a love of wisdom or pursuit of wisdom. That is philosophy. What Paul is talking about here is a specific philosophy, a singular philosophy, a worldview that is, listen, counter to Christ. That's why it says at the very end of verse 8, not according to Christ. And Paul calls it empty. Paul calls it deceitful. Paul says it's according to human tradition, which means human thinking. It's according to the elemental spirits of the world, which means worldly thinking or worldly ideas. And sadly today, Highland, this worldly pushback against Christ philosophy that surrounds us, you need to know this, it doesn't free you up, it ties you up. But a lot in our nation today think, if I can just believe in this, this human thinking, this elemental spirit of the world, it, it'll free me up. No, the worldly, against Christ philosophy, it doesn't heal you, it makes you spiritually sick. Amen. This worldly, against Christ philosophy doesn't satisfy you, it leaves you empty. So these past few weeks, as I knew I was preaching on this, on this passage, I just began to think to myself, what are some present day philosophies that are trying to capture us today? What are some things that are out there in our world today that are desiring to, to pull us away from Christ? And I, I made a list of about 20 things. I'm just gonna preach three of them, but I, so you're welcome. But I narrowed it down to like three things I think are in our world today that are trying to capture our minds and pull us away from Christ. I'll just give you the names of these philosophies as I have named them. The first of all, self-preservation over generosity. I think it's all around us. 
here's that philosophy. Here's what I mean by that. It's that philosophy that says, I need to take care of myself. I don't need to look out for others. It's that, sadly, philosophy in the West of getting and, and, and gaining and hoarding and stashing for me and not being generous toward others and not being generous toward God. For Christians, that's a far cry from Acts chapter 2. When Christians sold what they had for anyone who had need. This philosophy is a drive for, for bigger, for better, for newer. And with those who have needs, we just kind of leave them wanting. It is a dangerous philosophy for a Christian to hang on to. Materialism, money, possessions, it will take you captive. Which is why Jesus said, you can either love money or love God. You can't love them both. Here's the second philosophy that I think is in our present day. It's feelings over truth. This may sting some people. You may feel it if you don't mind the, uh, the irony of that word. Feelings over truth. Our tendency today is to live under the control of our feelings instead of living underneath the authority of God's truth. Now, let me just say feelings are real, but feelings are very deceptive. And so the, the choice that a Christian has to make is to live moment by moment under God's truth and not trust your feelings, but trust God's word and trust God's work in you. Will I, will I believe the feelings that I have that are fostered by the circumstances? Will, will I believe the feelings that I have that are fostered by the situations? Or will I believe God, the one who rules the universe? So here's a practical application. I would challenge you this week to not start your sentences with, I feel, but to start your sentences with, I know. Here's something I know about the character of God. Here's what I know about the promises of God. Because again, feelings are real, but they're really deceptive. Which is why Jeremiah said, oh, above all else, don't trust your heart. The heart is deceitful. And so we see a philosophy today, I think, that, that even in the Christian church, we, we, we let feelings rule us instead of the word of God reign over us. Here's the third one. God's love over God's holiness. It's a philosophy that we see primarily, I see it primarily on social media, but even from the Capital C Church, we speak so much about the love of God, and we should. But often we speak so much about the love of God to the neglect of the holiness of God. God's love does not equal permissiveness. His love instead requires repentance. His love is not amazing because he is soft. His love is amazing because he is holy. He is set apart. The power of God's love for you is exactly found in God's holiness over us. You see, his kind character towards you is a billion times more meaningful when you realize it emanates from his holy character. In other words, God's love for you is strengthened by the fact that he is a perfect, holy, just God. And let me say this in love. You may test his love, but don't test his holiness. We've made God squishy here in the West. We've made him soft on sin here in the West. We've made God so tolerating of our lifestyle, our choices, our fluidity, that we have pushed aside his holiness. God has never once in triplicate called love, love, love. But in the Old and New Testament, he is called holy, holy, holy. 
This is probably the philosophy that guts me the most here in the U.S. We want God to be flexible so that we can do what we want to do. We can say what we want to say, but listen, we don't bend his holiness around our lifestyle choices. We must bend our lifestyle choices around his holiness. God is not flexible. Pick it up in verse nine. And I think these next two verses are the most underrated scriptures in all the New Testament. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, Christian, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. You note takers, write this down, maybe in the back of your Bible. All of God is in Christ and all of Christ is in us. So we don't have to pray this prayer, Jesus, I just want more of you. No, you have all of him right now. All of the deity of God was poured fully into Christ Jesus and all of Christ Jesus was poured fully into his people and you have been filled in him who is the ruler of all things and authority over all things. That means we have more than enough. What do you mean, preacher guy? I mean, you have more than enough this week to live in freedom. I mean, you have more than enough this week to live a life of victory. You have more than enough this week because of all of God being poured into Christ and all of Christ being poured into you. You can live a life this week. You have more than enough in you to be generous this week. More than enough in you to be free from addiction and shame and your past. We have more than enough to live a life of reconciliation. We have more than enough to live a life of forgiveness toward others. We have more than enough to show grace toward the offenders. We have more than enough to show kindness to immigrants and strangers. And we have more than enough to say no to ungodliness and sexual sin. And I know I'm three days late. We have enough grace to say no to pride. We have more than enough to walk daily in surrender with Jesus. We have more than enough to allow our lives to count for the king. We have more than enough. Verse 11. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul goes back and he picks up the, the death and the resurrection of Christ and he wants to spend a little time there. For the death of Jesus, Paul uses the language of circumcision, which I know for us is odd, but if you were raised Jewish in that day, this was the symbol and the sign of covenant. In fact, Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. You're in Colossians chapter two. You probably have to go back just one page. Look at Philippians chapter three, verse five. Probably just to the left, one page. Maybe two, if you have a small Bible. One page over the left. Philippians three, five. We see this about, about Paul himself. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so he is saying here, I was circumcised as a little boy on the eighth day. He underwent circumcision. It was the removal of, of a bit of flesh. Sorry, brothers, I won't talk about it very long. A shedding of a bit of blood to show that he had a relationship with God. Paul says here in verse 11, that doesn't save. Paul is not talking in verse 11 about physical surgery, but spiritual surgery. God is reminding us, note takers, write this down, because of Christ's crucifixion, our sin has been crucified. 
But when you became a Christian, your old nature was taken away. You became a brand new creature with a brand new nature. Listen, any old doctor, any old priest can circumcise you physically, but only Christ can cut away our sin nature. Verse 12, our sin was crucified with Christ and our old self was buried with Christ. And then Christ raised us up to this new life because we believe that God raised up Christ. And I love that the ESV uses this word. Very few of the translations use this word, but this is why I love the ESV. It uses the word right there, powerfully. Inhergeha. Uh, Inhergeha is our English word, energy. And with great energy, God raised up Christ. And so, again, for you note takers, God raised Christ powerfully, and Christ raised us powerfully. And the same power, the same energy that God raised up Christ, so Christ raised up his people. God raised Christ forever. Christ raised you forever. God raised Christ to life. Christ raised you to life. This is why Highland places such a high value on baptism. Because it's a great reminder to us that we were once dead in sin. We were buried with Christ. We were raised up with Christ. And I, I am under no, I'm, I'm not in denial at all. Sometimes those two-minute baptism videos are more powerful than the 30-minute sermon from this pulpit. You don't have to amen that, but I know that that to be true. And so this morning, when, when Angel told her story, I mean, her story, which is every believer's story, we were dead. Not that, that Angel was bad, she was dead. And God raised her to new life, just as God raised up Jesus. So Jesus raised up Angel Terrell. And that's why we clap, and that's why we celebrate, and that's why we put a high value on baptism. Baptism does not save you, but it's a beautiful, I almost weekly picture here at Highland of someone who was dead in sin, but because of God's great mercy has been raised to new life. So let's wrap it up, because Paul is about to light up hell with these closing statements. Verses 13, 14, and 15, and you, there it is again, you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling that record. And there was a record of debt that stood against us with all this legal demands. This he, God, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, God, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ, in him. This is amazing because here we see this triumphant warrior king. And it's a battle scene. That the kingdom of darkness on one side, the kingdom of light on the other side, there's this great collision and the kingdom of light wins and frees the captives who were held in darkness and the battle was public. It was seen. Look at verse 15. God took away the armament of Satan and put Satan and the demons to, here it is again, verse 15, open shame. He triumphed over them at the cross and the empty Tombs. Here's the last thing I have for you today. The cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ create for us complete victory in Christ. I mean, Christian, why would you even entertain Satan's ways? Why would you even entertain Satan's temptation or Satan's tricks or Satan's schemes that, that Paul will reference in, in the book of Ephesians? Satan and his wicked forces were decimated at the cross. When Christ died, he made a public demonstration over them. When he rose from the dead, his defeat was over them. Where was it that Jesus bruised the head of Satan? At the cross. Where was it that he broke Satan's power? At the cross. 
Where was it that Jesus took away the sting of death at the cross? Where was it that Jesus broke the penalty of our sin at the cross? And this passage, in fact, this whole book of Colossians right here is about being in Christ, with Christ, in him, with him. Did you see that nine different times? We saw those little phrases, in Christ, in him, with Christ, with him. So let me end by reading this passage again, and I want to accentuate this truth, that the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ creates for us complete victory in Christ. Therefore, Highland Christians, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and nor to, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith from the dead, from God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Jesus, we have to abound with thanksgiving today because your cross and your resurrection creates for us victory in Christ. All of God poured into Christ. All of Christ poured into us. We have enough. We have enough to live a free life this week. We have enough to forgive others this week. We have enough to walk away from addiction, walk away from shame, walk away from sin. We have enough to be victorious this week. We have enough to be filled with joy this week. God, by your grace, would you not allow the philosophies of this world pull us away from continuing in Christ? We have enough. And how grateful we are. That should be the words of every Christian. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your grace, for walking with us as a friend. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, both for your love and your holiness. If you weren't holy, your love would not mean as much. But that a holy God would love us a God who is separated, who is above all else, would love us. We have enough, more than enough. So Jesus, we are grateful. Now we sing a song that speaks of the generosity of God. 
It's in Christ we pray. It's in Christ we sing.